Hello and welcome to the Power by Rock podcast. We're only speaking with Ken Haas from Reverend Guitars today. Reverend Guitars is actually celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. And it's pretty safe to say that if you're a guitar player, you've probably heard of them by now. Ken is the CEO of Reverend Guitars and he plays in Jay Navarro and the Traders, the Polka Floyd Show, and Zimmerman, Zimmerman Twins as a guitarist and vocalist as well. He's not just a suit and tie at a company. He's a musician first and foremost. And man, I will say from watching his videos on YouTube, he can absolutely play. I'm going to be speaking with Ken about the long journey so far, the company's history, the uniqueness of their guitars, and where Reverend goes from here right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock bands around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. All right. Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast. Today is going to be a pretty cool episode for guitar players, especially. But if you don't play guitar, don't worry. Um, it's a little bit of like a rock history as well. So you're going to enjoy hearing today's episode as well, because I'm going to be speaking with Ken Haas from Reverend Guitars. Hey, Ken, how's it going? It's going great. How about you? Fantastic. So let's kind of just dig in here, because I think, uh, you know, it's it's one of these things where when I finally get to speak to somebody who, you know, is is in the music industry and not just a musician, somebody who's actually got a business in the in the industry, it, it kind of changes the direction of the conversation. But I do want to talk about your personal history with rock music. You were playing um, kind of just as a setup to how you even got to where you are today, because most people are going to be like, I play in a band, but I have no idea how to run a business or have no concept of how that could happen. So how did that kind of work out from going from musician to becoming a CEO at Reverend Guitars. So how much time did you have? <laughs> we um, got all day, no problem. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, that's a that's a good one. Yeah. Um, so I started playing in bands when I was a teenager, and I did my first bar gig when I was 16. Um, and I loved it, and I had to pick something to do with my life. So I picked wrong a whole bunch of times. <laughs> um, but the one thing that was consistent was that I was always playing in bands. And um, I was inspired in the middle 80s by, uh, it's it's a really, it, it's become sort of a weird cliche, I think, to say, well, I mean, I was into alternative music before Nirvana, you know, yeah. people people are big on that, but I was. Yeah, and I mean, um, if you listen to the Pixies, and, obviously you like Nirvana, or you like grunge and, you know, all that kind of stuff beforehand. I was more... Um, I was into the I was into the bands that had leads, so I really liked a lot of the stuff that was going on at SST in the '80s. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was a big fan of Black Flag. I mean, let's face it, Greg Greg Ginn was a big inspiration on my guitar playing. But I was I like that later era Flag Rollins era Flag stuff that nobody likes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really into that. Uh, I'm really into uh, Dag Nasty and the Descendants and Steve uh, Edgerton from All and all of the bands that came along on Cruise sure. Records after that. So Chemical People and Big Drill Car and a lot of those bands. Those are the bands that we that we opened up for as kids and the guys that that I looked up to, you know, as players because, yeah. you know, and I'm not I'm not like I don't want to like 
diss on on other stuff from that that era or whatever, but just sort of the straight bar chord stuff didn't interest me as much as as the stuff where the guys were really throwing some leads in because it was an interesting format um, that made for some really chaotic lead guitar playing. Sure. And um, and I really like I really liked all that. And yeah, a lot of that does flow into like the Pixies and and bands that sort of um, skirted that alternative. They all all the stuff that like that Husker Du brought about. Sure. Yeah. And and um, and then of course everything that Watt did in his career after the Minutemen. Um, Firehose is one of my all time favorite bands. And so it wasn't just the distorted guitar stuff either. It was just a little bit of everything. Um, and so my bands were always, we were always like the opening band for those nationals, or we were like our own sort of weird headlining thing, but we were never, we were never trying to be trendy. So we were never insanely popular in the Detroit area. We, you know, uh, like this is another, another one of those bad cliches that people talk about, but we, I was literally in the band that all the other bands came to see. Like we okay. had this like great drummer and we played weird shit. And so other musicians liked it, but non-musicians didn't get it. <laughs> and so, which is fine. You know, I mean, after a while that, you know, that can be its own thing. Um, and along with the, the, the playing music and stuff, I, like a lot of guitar players just became fascinated with the guitar itself. Um, and that started early. I, I learned how to play largely on a, a 68 Telecaster, vintage Telecaster with a 65 twin that belonged to my uncle, um, who passed away when I was 11. And I couldn't make that rig sound like, you know, uh, Greg Ginn. <laughs> yeah. So, so I started experimenting with humbucker guitars and doing things. And, 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 um, at one of my first, like the band of bands have different incarnations and stuff like that. But one of the first shows that I can really remember when I was about 20, uh, we opened up for a big drill car at a club called Blondie's in Detroit. And sure. the guitar, the guitar player from Big Drill Car was kind of famous for playing um, this white Ibanez RG550, and I had never seen one before. Um, I'm, I, while I have a lot of appreciation for Steve Vai now, at the time that name didn't mean anything to me, and um, he kept, you know, popping these harmonics and hitting the trem bar and stuff, and I was like, what, what's that? And then I became, I be, I be right, and I became fascinated with the Floyd. My first guitar, real guitar that I bought for myself was um, uh, Ibanez RG five seventy in jewel blue, which I still have, and uh, that was my like main and almost only guitar for like six or seven years, and uh, and and it sort of started me down this weird path of like guitar appreciation, you know, and. Um, because I had like this vintage thing that everybody loved and I had this modern thing that a whole different group of people loved and I could sort of appreciate both of them, you know? Yeah. And, um, so when I started collecting guitars, I didn't really have like a preconceived notion of what worked for me. And I never really became hyper focused on any one brand. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so as I rolled through my twenties, um, 
I was, I was doing sales. I was raising a young family. I got married young. Um, and I was doing on the road sales, uh, selling automotive stuff, paint, sandpaper, body shop supplies. And it took me all around Southeastern Michigan and Northwest Ohio and often to Western Michigan, sometimes Chicago. And so while I was traveling for that, um, for that job, I would stop at guitar stores all the time because that's what guitar players do. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, talk to all the people that ran all these guitar stores and play my favorites. And I made a lot of friends and some that I'm still in touch with now from those days, you know. Um, and and I started buying and selling guitars. I made some some pretty decent money as a salesperson uh, for a while there, probably, you know, for a 20 year old 20 something guy it was dangerous for a minute yeah and uh and but i was good at sales so whatever um so i started buying and selling a lot of guitars and and it used modern stuff um but you know vintage stuff here and there and i sort of started to pick up on what i liked about different instruments and 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 what some of my favorites are some of which I still have, you know, guitars that have been moving around with me for 30 years now that I'm 50 something, <laughs> 52. <laughs> um, so, so there was all that. So then, so then how the reverend story developed um, is in those travels from that sales job. Uh, I, I walked into a, like a buy, sell, trade sort of music store and I saw a reverend guitar hanging on the wall. And it had the vibe of, it was one of our original models, and it had the vibe kind of of a Charvel Surfcaster. And I really dug it. It had a humbucker in the bridge, which I knew I liked, but it had a bolt-on neck, which I had preferred. And um, and uh, so I bought this guitar and really connected to it. And it said East Point, Michigan, right there on the headstock, which was only about 45 minutes away from where I lived. So back in those days, um, I grabbed a phone book and looked it up, and Naylor was in the phone book. Uh, and I got an address and went and knocked on the door and started selling him some sandpaper. And uh, <laughs> and then he and I became really good friends. And so here's the other part of the, the story that's that is it's funny to me because I've heard a number of people say different versions of this over the years. But Joe and I got to be pretty close. And he asked me if I wanted to go to the NAMM show with him. Yeah. Um, this would be the summer of 99. And I had been fascinated with guitars and playing in bands for 12 years at this point, you know. And I had no idea really what the NAMM show was other than the occasional mention of it in a guitar magazine, yeah. you know, under new releases or whatever. And so, of course, I accepted and when I went to that show, um, I knew right away that I was doing the wrong thing with my life. And yeah. so at this at this point, I'm just shy of 30. And I'm looking out in, in this old Nashville Convention Center. There was a place you could stand. You could see all the displays. And I'm looking out over the sea of displays. And I see like, you know, well, there's Joe and Reverend right below me. And then... Gibson had their trailer inside and they're over here and Ibanez had a big thing. Fender had a big thing. And, uh, I was like, Oh, wait, I, I should be, I should be here. I just knew that it was like something like 
organized. And so from that moment forward, um, everything that I did was to move in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and um, and I, I stayed selling in in sales for a number of years. I started working for Joe part time. So at that at that NAM show, I sold a handful of guitars to some notorious players. Uh, the main one being Will Ray from the Helicasters bought a okay. couple of reverence off of Joe. And um, Joe was really surprised. Uh, like, how did you get him to come over here? And I didn't really realize that I had done anything. I, you know, I was talking to Will in another booth and he asked me, he's like, Reverend Guitars, I, I never heard of that. What's that? And I just explained it to him and why I was so excited about it, you know, and why I was there. And Will kind of picked up on my enthusiasm and went and bought a couple of guitars from Joe. So then Joe said, well, hey, I, I'm, I would like to bring you to all of these shows. Yeah. And, and, and I need you to do that over and over and over again. <laughs> and uh, so it was cool. So all of a sudden I had uh, all expense paid trip to every NAMM show. And, um, and at that point, this is where the story gets a little strange. I, um, I moved... Uh, into Toledo, Ohio, Northwest Ohio. And um, I married my lovely wife and business partner, Penny Haas, who runs Reverend Guitars with me. Um, and I had an opportunity to get out of the um, the aftermarket car business, the selling of shop supplies and stuff, sure. and, um, and open a actual car business with a bandmate of mine at the time who was like a car salesman who was good at it. And what I brought to that relationship was um, a knowledge of what happens in body shops sure. uh, and and paint matching and, and repair things. Because I, I used to train people to paint cars and stuff back in the day. So, um, and and the, the idea was, was that we would buy clean used cars because I could spot bad repairs and this and that. Sure. And we went into business for a few years and that business is horrible. Um, I thought the paint business was bad for your soul and nothing, <laughs> nothing is more, uh, is more brutal than the used car business. Yeah. Um, no matter how honest you try to be with people, they think you're a liar. Sure. And my personality didn't suit that very well. Um, and I got very tired of it very, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, but not as quickly as my partner, who I had to get rid of real fast. And and then I'm I'm basically stuck running this business. So um, I taught myself like crash course um, how to do my own books. I mm -hmm. this I don't I don't I I went to the you know the school of rock as it were. I mean I didn't have any of that. I don't have an accounting degree or a business degree or any of these yeah. things. So here I am all of a sudden at the helm of this business. And, um, and I learned a lot. I, I gained yeah. a lot of experience. I gained a lot of experience in running a small business and dealing with finances and, and, um, and again, sort of keeping my own books and, and it was good. And I had to get out of it. What I learned was that there was no money in that business. Yeah. <laughs> so I got out of it. And around the time I was closing that business, Joe uh, Naylor was starting a new line of guitars for Reverend that he was calling the Stage King. 
uh, which included, where is it? There, that, that jet stream right there. It was one of the original models um, in the Stage King series. And he was really excited about them. And I was very, I, he sent me some guitars to try uh, in advance of an upcoming NAMM show. And I was pretty excited about him too. And so I sort of made him an offer. Like I, I wanted to work for him full time for a month or two. And yeah. really, in, instead of just going to NAM and standing around and talking to people and trying to bring people in and stuff, I, I wanted to, to go to his office, prospect, really call back some dealers that he was interested in having and set up appointments and go to the show and see these appointments through and really see what I had to offer to the business. And, um, and so this would have been in January of 2006. And um, I went to that show and I think I opened 17 dealers and sold close to 500 guitars. Wow. And Joe was impressed enough yeah. that, that he realized he had to hire me at that point. Yeah. Well, listen, man, all the people are going to be expecting to call up and talk to you now. And I was like, I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so finally I got to be, you know, in my mid thirties, I finally got the job I always wanted as the sales director for a guitar company. Mm -hmm. And, um, we grew really, we really, we had our first million dollar year in 2006, 2007. And then in 2008, when we had that sort of economic reset, uh, it, it about 40, well, not 40%, but close to 40%, 35%, about a third of our dealers went out of business. Yeah. Um, and we were selling to small, we were mostly selling to indie stores at that time. And I don't think people realize how hard that was on yeah. retail at that point. And of course, now we've just, we're coming out of all of this insane pandemic era stuff, you know, and, and, and now in the, in the era that we're in, things are, are going to start starting to get difficult again. Yeah. Uh, but then, then it, it was really shocking how fast the business fell off then, um, yeah. even for established brands. And we were just kind of finding our own space, you know? Um, and after that happened, I, I think Joe, Joe got tired of, of the sort of the up and down of it. Uh, Joe is a brilliant luthier and he's a brilliant guitar designer. Um, he has a very uncanny ability to listen to what an artist or an individual is looking for in an instrument and pair them with that instrument, whether it be something that we already do or whether he is coming up with something completely from scratch, like we've done with like Reeves Cabrels or Billy Corgan, Mike Watt, all these guys. Yeah. And that was really his strong suit. And whereas the, the sales and the and the day-to-day -day running thing was the thing that I um, was really into. And so Joe and I figured out a way um, for me to buy the company from him um, and then hire him back as our exclusive designer and our, you know, head engineer, as it were. Sure. Um, and so leaving Penny and I free to run the business and basically it took a lot of the stuff that he didn't want to deal with off his desk, right? Yeah. Um, which is great because it put it all on mine and it <laughs> aged me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been great. Um, so I it so the story for me and Joe is really unique. Um, 
Joe and I became really good friends first, and then I worked for him, and it didn't spoil that friendship. And now uh, he's worked for me for 12 years, and it doesn't spoil that friendship. But then we don't look at it like that. People yeah. from the outside always want to look at it like that, but when here, that's not really how that feels. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so when he was then freed up from doing the day-to-day -day sort of grunt work, you know, payroll, taxes, shipping, receiving, parts, yeah. this, that, all of that. He started to do the best work of his career. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's been a, a partnership that's worked very, very well. Um, yeah. And uh, obviously, I mean, we're, we've, um, we've grown a lot within the last, you know, 12 years. And now we're, we've become, you know, somewhat of a player in this marketplace, which is really interesting. But your question was, how did I get here? And that is how I got here. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did I did a lot of this. I mean, I took a lot of weird turns. Um, but and and some some of them were expensive, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just seems like with everything that I did, I picked up another piece of the puzzle on the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I've pretty much done that my entire career as well. Like, working different jobs to find out that this is where I want to be in the end anyway, but it all right, led to right. this. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think one really cool thing about the Reverend Guitars lineup in general is, is the ability of the customization of the guitars. And you actually mentioned that was kind of what drew you to them in the first place. So I think, you know, obviously you've got respected artists like Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins, mm -hmm. Reeves Grables of The Cure and David Bowie's band. They have signature guitars. There's a huge list of players who actually play the music, um, from you know play play the guitars in their bands that might not have their own signature series but um what do you think the reason is and one of my favorite by the way is mark knopfler from dire straits i was like oh man i got mark knopfler playing their guitars that's pretty awesome but what do you think is the reason behind these artists trusting reverend guitars over your competitors it's a good question um if there's with, with a lot of the guys they're looking especially Billy, Billy's a really good example. Um, Billy is looking for something that's not really available in a stock model from other guitar makers. Mm -hmm. And it, when we develop an artist's signature guitar, like with Billy or with, with Reeves Gabrels, who you mentioned, um, there's no preconceived notion of what that guitar should be at the start, right? Yeah. Um, it is what the artist is looking for uh, specifically and what they want to make work. So Billy uh, Reeves is a good example because Reeves, his first signature guitar with us was sort of a modified version of one of our stock body shapes. Sure. And then he liked some of our other body shapes. And then when he got the gig playing for The Cure, he really wanted to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and then adds this like secret sauce to it. Right. And, um, and we, we can do that for an artist without, um, I, one of, one of my, one of my quotes is, is we're not, um, we're not held down by the weight of our own legacy. Um, everything we do doesn't have to fit into three or four body shapes that we've been yeah. making for, for 75 years. Um, everything we don't we don't do any double signature model things, you know. Um, if somebody, you know, if Billy is looking for something, and 
part of creating the tone he wants with the resonance he wants is that the neck shape ha- or the the way the neck joins the body needs to be this we can do that and then try yeah. to make it you know aesthetically pleasing and present it to him yeah. and uh, and like i was telling you about joe um when we did the first billy corgan model aesthetically he loved it right out of the gate but he wanted the pickups to have a little bit more something or other and Joe can sort of listen to him describe what he's looking for and then sit down at his bench with magnets and wires and make that happen, yeah. you know, which is why, <laughs> which is why he's such an integral part of what we do, you know, yeah. um, because I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. You know, um, I know that after he makes it, I know I can, I could take it and market it and sell it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but what he he's doing there is, is very special and unique. And so we're, we're offering instruments that have their own character um, for for artists who have their own character. Does that make sense without sounding Absolutely. too without sounding too pretentious? I mean, you know what I mean? Because I don't want to be like, Ugh. but I, but it's true. I mean, that's yeah. really what we're looking to do, and that's what draws those guys to us. Um, yeah. The Knopfler thing. So there are some people on our artist roster that I am just super fans of yeah. who I, and Knopfler is one of them. I just basically stalked him until he started playing something. <laughs> Cause he was like, I think I'll he felt bad. I think Come he felt here. bad for me, but no, we, we make th- this buckshot guitar that we make has got um, sort of a unique setup as far as having a, um, a single, if, as far as a single coil bridge guitar is concerned. And it's something that I could see working for him for slide. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does with it. He has very, I mean, he's very, very well, he's very famous for playing two instruments and God love him for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love everything that he creates on those two instruments. And I wasn't looking, I, what I was looking to do was like fill a niche with him. Yeah. And so I think with a lot of legacy artists like that, we're able to come in and fill a niche. I, if I could talk about a couple of things real quick. Sure. Um, a couple of things that we're really proud of that we sell a lot of here is we sell a lot of baritones and we sell a lot of 12 strings. And the reason for that is, is just not unlike the artist signature models. Um, when Joe set out to create those guitars, he wasn't like, well, we now I'm going to make a 12 string, I, whatever, pick legacy guitar here, insert legacy guitar here. And we're yeah. just going to put a 12 string neck on this. And this is going to be our 12 string. Um, he, he sat down with a handful of 12 strings and we worked very closely actually with uh, Chris Funk from the December sun this because okay. he, he plays a lot of 12 strings and he's a big reverend fan. Um, those guys in the Decembers have a handful of reverend guitars between them, uh, Colin and Chris do. And we talked to, um, Chris about where the 12 strings that he he's always toured with electric 12s in that band. They're featured on a lot of December songs. So we asked him where the shortcomings were on, on all the 12s that he used. Um, And then Joe just addressed them systematically. And we ended up with the Reverend airwave, which doesn't, it looks like a reverend still because Joe designed it, of course, uh, but it's got a wildly different set of specifications than than any of the other guitars in our line. Yeah. Um, but it it stays in tune and it sounds great and it's very it's made to go on the road. And we have picked up tons of players with that uh, baritone. Same thing. Um, 
it's it's really exciting with the baritone thing because we made a baritone that was designed for guitar players. And it wasn't just like, well, we're going to put a 28-inch deck on this, and here you go, it's our baritone. <laughs> it's it's sort of a custom scale. The bridge placement is custom so that it's comfortable for a guitar player to sit down with and play. Um, and it's resonated across the industry. I, Jeremy from Devil Wars Prada just sent me like the nicest email complimenting me on that guitar and how it's worked its way into um every live set and recording that those guys have done for the last few years nice. and i'm like and i'm super flattered because that's a big you know i mean he's a that's that's a big name in this industry and and it isn't like anything where we set out to like well we're going to do the signature model we're going to do this we're going to do that no he took this guitar that we offer and has made it his own and yeah. um that's the goal here right yeah. That's what we're trying to do. So, yeah. And I think, you know, when you talk about the specific niche models and, and niche types of guitars, I think most, again, legacy brands, Gibson, Fender, stuff like that, they'll do it, but they only do it like they'll put out like one model. They don't really customize it. They don't specify, you know, unless it's for specifically an artist who says, here's what I want. But yeah, right. they don't actually go through, spend the time to fix any problems. It's just like, Here's what we normally do. We're going to put 12 strings on it and a slightly wider neck or a longer neck or whatever. Um, and that's it. And and really, they're just looking to use the same body shape of a Les Paul or an SG or whatever they are, you know, uh, an acoustic version of a, of a guitar and kind of do that. But that's why I think I really um, wanted to come to you guys because, you know, having a talk with like somebody at Gibson or Fender, it's, it's going to be corporate speak, right? Like they're going to talk about you know, oh, well, we've sold 10 million guitars over the last 10 years. Like, nobody cares about that. Like, talk about why these ones are such, such special models. And one of the main reasons I brought you on to this podcast is because I, I love when people can geek out on kind of like the gear and the specifications behind their instruments. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think obviously with Reverend, I mean, it was kind of started on the concept of the of the rail hammer pickups and, and the pickups in general, obviously, uh, being unique versus... Uh, you know, what what the industry offered. Um, can you kind of talk about some of the uniqueness of the, the pickups themselves? And I know you guys sure. actually have Railhammer and it's now part of the company again. Again, it's yeah. branched off so, for a while. Railhammer didn't come along until uh, 2011, 2012. Yeah. And so Railhammer is one of the, the byproducts of me giving Joe more time to design stuff. Yeah. And um, and so after 2000, he, he had... He had been toying with the idea in his brain for a while of how he could, um, let's see, what do I got here? I got one close to me. Check this out. So this is one of uh, Vernon Reed's guitars, of all people. Um, this is a prototype for his uh, PRS signature model that we just put some rail hammers in. These are Reeves Gabrels. Uh, signature rail hammers. So Joe had this idea that um, the blades under the wound strings would keep the bottom end of the guitar really nice and tight and compressed, mm -hmm. while the oversized slugs under the plain strings would balance those the output of those blades, sure. yet allow you to have sort of a sweeter, warmer tone on the high end. He always liked the compression, especially... Um, when you're using a lot of gain or when you're using the neck pickup of a standard mm -hmm. humbucker guitar, he always liked the compression of the blades under the wound strings, but found that 
they made the high end of the guitars way too bright. Yeah. So he figured out a way to combine those things. And what we've ended up with is a humbucker with more clarity than any humbucker that's ever come before it. Yeah. Um, and so Joe patented that in 2011 and he went into production with it in later in 2011, 2012. And then he was basically running that business on his own out of his house. <laughs> and um, I had a handful of artists get interested in it right away. Uh, Reeves was interested in it right away. Bob Balch from Fu Manchu. Um, it, it fit what they were doing, their playing style. I mean, guys that do heavy riffing on the low strings and, yeah. um, and are really looking for a good lead tone and really like a more vintage lead tone as it were yeah. um especially in bob's case and then later as we started working with billy it was the perfect fit for his sig signature instruments as well because the boy plays with a lot of gain uh yeah. but i do want to make clear and i don't want to be too sales pitchy on here but um it the clean tones are amazing too it's not like these pickups are designed for high gain um yeah you what for like a jazz box, like an arch top guitar, even that just has a neck position pickup, the rail hammer looks funny and jazz guys have a tendency to hear with their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and anytime I've ever gotten somebody to try one of these pickups in an arch top, they're blown away um, yeah. at how, how full, but what it sounds on the low end without any sort of farting out or overwhelming of even you know tube amps and things of that nature um but it's very very they're just really unique and really cool and they're totally passive i mean they're just solder them in and go yeah. so um as that business grew uh again administrating that business was taking up more and more of mr naylor's time and um we had now we have rail hammers featured not only with with some of our regular uh our our artists our non-signature artists but our bigger artists like robin fink from nine inch nails and you know so we have all these guys using the rail hammer pickups and the reverend stuff and then we have signature artists like billy corgan and kyle shutt and reeves cabrels bob balch uh we're making we are making signature guitars for these guys there are also Joe is making signature pickups for them. Um, so I was sort of when Joe decided he didn't want to administrate that business anymore, we took that over from him as well yeah. and and just folded it under part of our umbrella. So we, you know, we bought the patents from him and all of the paperwork that that goes on with them. So we run both of those companies out of the same building, but as separate entities. So you yeah. can. Uh, unlike the regular, um, the Reverend pickups like our P90s or our our Alnico humbuckers and stuff, we don't we don't offer the Reverend pickups individually for sale, sure. although we should, and we may at some point because yeah. they're they're fantastic. The Railhammer thing is a unique enough thing that we offer that as its own brand on the side. It's got its own dealer network. It has its own. Uh, marketing footprint. And so Penny and I sort of run both of those companies at the same time. Nice. It's not like you don't have enough time or, you know, anything in your day that you're just like, whatever, I got, I got spare time. Yeah. Right. Let's do this. Pick, <laughs> let's do this pickup thing. That'll be a great idea. Um, but it has brought us, you know, it's brought us some, some 
that that in itself has brought us some attention from some interesting people and some really good players. You know, yeah. Um, well, I think so it's, it's, I think it's, it's very. I cool. think it's a great idea because you know, um, you know, when people talk, they, they're like, "I'm a single coil kind of guy," or "I'm a humbucker kind of guy," and then they try this kind of stuff when it's like a new, different type of p- pickup, and they're like, "Oh, actually." I kind of like this because it's, it takes the pieces that I like of single coil and pieces of humbucker or whatever, and kind of fits it together. Yeah, it does all that. Um, and, and it's nice just to, again, just to have something different, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a different way to look at sort of the same thing. Right. And, um, and that, that uniqueness gives us our own, uh, footprint in the marketplace. For sure. I know you guys take a lot of pride in, in not just the guitars, but also bass guitars, uh, you know, for professional Absolutely. musicians. But I've seen that you guys actually, I think in an interview or maybe even on your website, you mentioned that you're like a perfect mid-level guitar for people to move up from beginner guitars, right? Do you feel like that has changed at all? Or do you guys kind of solidly position yourself as like the the in-between like super high-end $5,000 guitars or $10,000 guitars and the beginner guitar? Is that kind of where you guys choose to fit? Yeah, it's it's a weird vibe. I I think that we um, I think that we compete with guitars that cost twice what ours do still. Yeah. Um, while maintaining, you know, affordability for somebody. I mean, we're 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 getting into the top end of the the mid range market. But what? So if you're watching this in the future, <laughs> right now. <laughs> It is September of 2022, and right now, what I consider to be the mid-range of the guitar market is very, very much in flux, and there's a lot of interesting things happening in the guitar business right now. Yeah. Um, it used to be that you could very much draw what the American perception of guitar quality was, was drawn by countries and city states you just went well the best stuff is made here there's some pretty good stuff made here the stuff that's made here is okay the stuff that's made here is subpar and the stuff that's made here is for beginners yeah for example if you're going to get a fender telecaster you are going to want it from corona california that's where people are like this is that's you talking bud yeah (laughs) that's what i'm saying Uh, like when people when people do that they're like oh did you get it made in america is it from corona i'm like does it matter? Like they have good stuff. The Mexican Telecasters are pretty good too. I, you know, and so are the Chinese ones. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some, it's, it's crazy where something, um, Joe and I have talked for many years about, uh, what we like to call, uh, country of origin versus company of origin. Yeah. Um, so that's one way to look at it. Uh, but I'm, discovering that where first off you can get anything from anywhere in any price range that's that is that is the hardest thing to grapple with for me being a a child of the 80s you know um and 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 being an american in the 1970s and 1980s you know uh stuff that's made in japan is cheap you pay this much for it and yeah, it can be a pretty good value, but this is where that falls, and this is how you're supposed to look at it. Yeah. Stuff that's made in China is this is how you're supposed to look at that. Stuff that's made, you know, in America is this thing. Stuff that's made in Europe is this thing. 
Yeah. Um, and and you have your sort of tiers. I don't think anything fits into those categories now. Um, a, a guitar companies, and I'm not here to call out names on people and stuff like that. That's not that's not my goal. But there there are guitar companies that are making guitars from the you know six hundred to sixty thousand dollar price range here in the states, and you get what you pay for all across that spectrum. Yeah. Um, Ibanez is making you know premium guitars in Indonesia. Yeah. That that they are getting two thousand dollars for, and who would you that that isn't anything that was even on the whoever saw that on the horizon, you know, a couple of generations ago. But now, yeah. now w- with technology being what it is, and with people, I mean, people being more open minded towards um, trade and things of that nature, I. It, it, that sort of stuff really doesn't matter, and you really have to look at the instrument for what it is and what went into it and what's behind it and what what th- these companies are trying to accomplish, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and then find out what's right for you and try to throw away all the sort of preconceived notions, you know. Sure. Like me, I you know, I, I still have funny. Uh, experiences with that, you know. Uh, to be honest with you guys, I I've been looking at those Strandberg guitars for years. Like, okay, <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> you know, um, I was over in Korea about six seven weeks ago, and a distributor over there that we visited um, di- distributes them their stuff there and works for them a little bit, and then had a handful of guitars there, and I played. I played probably eight or ten of them, and uh, they were fantastic. They were yeah. fantastically comfortable. They were set up really well. They're about as strange looking as something can get, but they're they've they've accomplished a thing, yeah. and uh, I think it's pretty damn cool, you know. Yeah. And I, I so I don't, you know, who knows, man. It, like I said, that kind of stuff is all over the place. So, so your original question, of course, is whether or not I still see us in the mid range. And um, I'm I'm moving away from thinking about things in terms of price, uh, and and well, we have to price this here if we want to sell it or whatever. I, I think we have a really really good product at any price point. Yeah. And I think that if it's what we're looking for, if it's what you're looking for, then that's great. And for crying out loud, I hope somebody has. And well, and I hear the story all the time I, of people who. I, I about once a week I get an email from somebody who's like, I went to the store with four thousand dollars planning on buying this, and then I picked up your double agent, and I ended up, you know, spending eleven hundred dollars with the case, and I and the guitar is is better than what I went in there to get, and I'm so yeah. happy with it. Thank you so much. And I'm like, yes, that's that's what it's about. You know what I mean? That's what we're yeah. trying to do. Um, I would think that. We're still in the mid-range price-wise compared to what's out there, but it's it's incredible now, too. Um, you got me going, dude. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, and I, other- I'll, I'll say the price points have changed over the last 10 years or so. I mean, back when I first bought my first guitar for myself in, I don't know, 94, 95, I mean, you could get a, you know, a Fender Telecaster probably for 450 bucks, like mm-hmm. high-end one. Now you're looking at like, 
two, three thousand dollars. Well, we'll say yeah. American made decent. American 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 standards were probably in that era because that's so. I know a lot about that era of Fender in particular because I have a bunch of them. Yeah. Um. I I really think that the this <laughs> this will get this will get me some hate mail. Um. I think that the American standard Strat between. Uh, say 94 and 98 is the best guitar that they made yeah i really think it's a, just a fantastic instrument all told and new yeah they were 800 bucks 850 yeah. 849 something like that i think a telly back then was about 799 yeah. 899 like right for a good one um and yeah those were cool guitars now when i was a kid uh my first guitar was a some sort of the first one that I obviously not the 68 telly, but when I like decided I was going to go get my own guitar, I got this like HSS Kramer thing. Yeah. Terrible, terrible guitar. Terrible. <laughs> um, and it was it was one hundred ninety nine dollars for like a white shitty Strat copy. Just yeah, it would. You, there was nothing you could do. There was nothing you could mod on this guitar that was going to make it stay in tune. And yeah. I carried her. I carried that damn guitar around for six months too. I was so proud of that thing. Um, and then as I got to be a little bit better, I I, I had to move on from it quickly. Um, but it had a humbucker in the bridge for crying out loud, and so I could play <laughs> metal on it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, a two hundred dollar guitar uh, in the early to mid eighties was absolute garbage yeah and now 250 299 let's let's say 250 is the mark 250 dollars is a lot less money now than it was in 1985 yeah. and 250 dollars will buy you a lot more guitar now than it did in 1985 sure. i mean these the the just with the um cnc stuff that goes on you're you're getting these tight neck fits and and uh the tuners are better, you know, and, and, you know, uh, another hundred, hundred fifty dollars in mods and you've got a guitar that you can go out and gig with absolutely no problem. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's interesting to me how all of that stuff is sort of always changing and always in flux. It's a very, very complicated conversation. Yeah, it is. And, and I was just bringing it up because, you know, the, when people think of mid range, or mid price levels, they might be thinking like 1990s pricing versus yeah, without, pricing. without question, that yeah. is sure. And of, of course, and especially when you're talking to guys who are my age, yeah, you know, I mean, because they were, I was buying guitars in the 90s, so I, I remember, you know, and yeah, it, the, the, the value has changed quite a bit since then. Yeah. Um, but that's okay, and, and we're, you know, I mean, that's all part of. It's all part of how it's done. And then uh, also a lot of that sort of, a lot of that stuff is just a, a uniquely American perspective on things yeah. too. You know what I mean? Because um, that's how we were raised in this yeah. country. You know, our our parents and, and grandparents and, and people who had anybody from, you know, what they call the greatest generation in their lives, uh, influence them have a view of this country that's, that's, you know, far different from the way the rest of the world looks at us. So it's, it's, yeah. um, and I don't, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. I, I, I don't have, I don't have much time in my life for politics, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I do do a lot of international business yeah. and I, I sell, I sell a lot of guitars all over the world. And, um, and it's interesting to me 
how things like how this conversation is viewed in other countries. It's For cool. Sure. It's fascinating. And yeah. it all play it all plays into a little bit of what we do. We are still currently uh, making all of our guitars at Mir Music in South Korea. And they they largely make guitars there um like we made guitars here in, in the late fifties and sixties. I mean every everything in the process is done by hand. Yeah. I was sh- I was shocked to discover there's like one guy who makes all of our necks. Wow. And he's just so good at it that there's Hopefully he's got an apprentice. So Oh my god. Yeah, you got that right. You got that right. Um but you know and 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 what we were able to accomplish by working with Mir um isn't so here's something to think about. We weren't looking for cheap when we set out to manufacture guitars, yeah, we were looking for a company that could do what we needed them to do with the quality that we wanted to get from them. Yeah. And they were our best option. Yeah. Um, and they've been building guitars for generations in this. It's a small factory. Um, and they've literally been building musical instruments in this factory for, for forever and not forever, obviously, but literally for generations. Yeah. And it's so we had rather than the easiest way to put this is, is, uh, cause I, I think about this kind of stuff a lot. <laughs> yeah. I manufacture but, as well from overseas. So I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, so rather than try to set everything up here and train a bunch of people who have never made instruments before yep. to, to make this product that we want and to try to get the end result that we want, we went to some people that had decades of experience doing this, yep. presented them with what we were looking for, and were able to get what we wanted from them right away and yep. didn't didn't have to work into building up to a quality level that we were looking for. Exactly. And it just so happens that we were able to do that in South Korea. Yeah. And I will say, by the way, South Korea has some of the best goods in the world, like even better than, you know, China has, you know, good quality manufacturing. But from what I found, if you can, if you can buy goods from South Korea, they have some of the best goods around the board, electronics or otherwise in South Korea. It's true. Um, they are very much in flux as a culture now mm-hmm. um as you know we were going into sort of our generation there's fewer and fewer people working in factories and doing things by yep. hand because the youth there has been raised i mean it's a first world country you know yep. i mean they want to be on youth, TikTok too. <laughs> yeah right i mean that's that's it you know um so so it's going to be interesting to see where all of that goes but yeah. But again, with the quality of instruments that we're seeing, um, you know, coming out of of the Indonesia, by the way, and Ibanez is doing some really nice stuff, and as is PRS and and other brands, you know, it's 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 heartening, you know, and yeah. I just hope that we can sort of keep all of this goodwill amongst nations going, right, and yeah. uh, and everybody tap into that. Um, because really, the 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 customer, um, the customer is benefited. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, that sounds like a cliche too, but that the fact that the fact that the 
under $500 guitar now can be such a, a good quality instrument. And what you're looking at, um, what you're looking at in our price range now are instruments that were custom shop instruments 30 years ago. Yeah. And what the custom shop people are doing now is they're doing all these incredible art pieces and doing all this just crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. And because all these these other markets have been allowed to flourish, it's sort of um, expanded what you can get out of the electric guitar. I'm probably going to get in trouble for all of this. <laughs> well, I'll make sure but, to put a bunch of disclaimers but, like, but I mean, but it's true. Not responsible for saying any of the words <laughs> out of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But I, but you know, I, I. And it, it, this is, I don't want to be like talking cliche guy or whatever, but I, I love guitars yeah. and I'm, I'm, I have lots of them and yeah. I still buy them and sell them. And I probably don't sell like other brands and vintage stuff. And I yeah. probably don't sell stuff as often as I should anymore because, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but I see things that I think are interesting and I want to experience it, you know, um, and I, I've got a cower like Firebird thing that I can see from my field of vision here, and it's got the biggest neck I've ever seen on a guitar. It's <laughs> it's super. It's not for me, but I respect it. I like it. You know what I mean? Like I I, I, I get what I, yeah I get what he's done there, and uh, and it's a pretty cool guitar. <clears throat> yeah, I really like looking at it for sure. Well, I have a question um, for you since you brought up your love of guitars. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, fire away. You have tons of models and makes and yes. uh, designs through the Reverend guitar. Which one would yeah. you say that's been your favorite over the years of the Reverend line? Um, I like uh, the Jetstream stuff is my favorite. Yeah. My my current favorite guitar to play is a, a signature model that we do for a guy in England uh, named Matt West. And he's the guitar player for a pop punk band called Neck Deep. Absolute <laughs> monster rhythm player, monster right hand. And and so he's such a cool dude. So Neck Deep was touring the U.S. Um, five or six years ago, seven years ago, and they stopped by my shop at eight in the morning between like between Pittsburgh and Grand Rapids, Michigan, like where we're right in the middle. And they were doing an overnight drive, and they came here early in the morning. And he wheeled in like his whole Kemper rig and a four twelve cab, and he played a bunch of guitars. And he got one of my Jetstream three nineties from me. And to me, that Jetstream body, which is I keep raising the wrong finger yeah. when I look at myself. Mirrored. This is the Jetstream body. To me, yeah. that Jetstream design is is very comfortable. And when I look at it, I think Reverend. It's got the the offset. There, I do it right. It's got the offset waist. It's got the yeah protruding upper horn i did it again got that protruding upper horn um that it helps balance really well and it's got the reverend bolt on neck which has you know been the joe's neck shape for the last 25 years and yeah. I, I love that guitar so he grabs one of these and he he plays the the p90 version he loves it he buys a couple guitars for me a couple days later he calls me on the phone and says Listen, that Jetstream 390, that's my all-time favorite guitar. It's the guitar that I'm going to use forever from now on. This is it. And it would be the perfect guitar in the world for me if it just had that Bridge P90 and a reverse headstock. And I went, uh, and I pictured it in my head. And then I said to him, guy I've only known for 48 hours, hey, man, want to do a signature model? with <laughs> <laughs> a very very few signature models that didn't have anything to do with nailer when it came to working with the artist because he already yeah. said the guitar was perfect so i didn't really need to drag poor joe into it 
Um, and that I'm a bridge pickup guy. I'm an all controls wide open guy. I'm a reverse headstock guy. I, I just love everything about it. And and yeah. it's uh, it's a super fun guitar to play. And it's what I use in uh, Jay Navarro and the Traders. I have two black ones that I drag all over the world with me, and yeah. uh, I love them. Well, let me ask you about that. Why Why do you prefer a reverse headstock? Because for me, I guess it doesn't really matter. But when you look at it, it's kind of like when you watch Jimi Hendrix playing an upside-down guitar, you're like, that looks weird. I don't know why, but that just looks weird. Let me do this with my hands. Let me get them over here. Let me get my hands positioned right. Okay. So you see how the offset waist goes like this? Right? Yeah. Okay, so if you were to take that to the headstock and the headstock was reversed, Mm-hmm you're following that same line. So the line you're looking at goes, I can't even do it. I can't do this backwards with my hands. This, it's a good thing that this isn't like some sort of a drunk driving test. You see this line, you see this line that the offset waist makes that yes. I'm making with my hand. If you take that up and you put a reverse headstock on it, it's the same gotcha. line. And in my mind, that balances and looks really cool. Nice. And then also when you're playing guitar, your hands are on the bottom of the neck, right? Yeah. So that if you have to tune a string real quick, your hands are still on the bottom of the neck. Gotcha. As opposed okay. to having to reach over to the top. And I under, I'm totally used to reaching over. The, I'm not yeah. I'm not a diehard about either of these things. Yeah. I just like it. And there's people that are like, dude, I can't you, I can't believe you play reverse headstocks. It looks so stupid and I can't get used to it. <laughs> All due respect. That's cool, man. I get that. That's yeah. totally your thing. I just dig it. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So that's, uh, that's my favorite one. But... I also play the hell out of a Pete Anderson Eastsider S, which is this sort of T-shaped thing that we've been doing since 2010 uh, for Pete Anderson, um, a Grammy Award-winning guitarist for Dwight Yoakam and songwriting partner with 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 many artists over the years, uh, including one of my favorites, uh, Kurt Kirkwood. He produced one of a great Me Puppets record, and he also produced Kurt's solo record. And and Pete's one of my heroes too for that alone. Mm-hmm. And um, we we started making a hollow body guitar with him in about 2008. And then we started doing this T-style solid body in 2010. And I had one of those. I, 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 well, we never really saw ourselves doing uh, guitars in that shape. Mm-hmm. It was something that Pete really wanted to do. And after talking to Pete, Joe decided that we had something to offer um, mm-hmm. with our sort of specific set of of specifications, the Karina body, the roasted maple neck, the locking tuner, the Wilkinson trim. There, there were things that we could put on this guitar that would make it, make it unique and special. And Pete really liked it. And so, um, I had one of those get damaged in shipping right out of one of the very first, out of the very first run. And, um, and it got pretty beat up. It got UPS really did a number on this thing. Um, shipping it to California, I think it arrived in California, not in the box anymore. Wow. So um, I got this poor guitar back, and my tech here made it playable. And uh, I took it to a gig, and in one of the bands that I play in, this Polka Floyd band, it has been to every gig since. And wow. we play a lot, and the guitars really trashed it's one of my favorites it's, uh, it's it's a lot of fun it's a really fun thing to, to people are like what are you going to make a relic i'm like i don't make relics yeah you make relics exactly <laughs> buy one of these guitars and play the shit out of it and yeah. then you'll have and then you'll have what you're what you're looking for you know yeah, um, i hate that concept of like pre-sold worn jeans i'm like that, that's why I buy, I buy them new so i can wear them like not so somebody else can pre-wear them i get it 
I get it. I I I I like to pick on it too, you know. But yeah. but but I mean, I understand, and I'm glad that it exists, you know. And and it's uh, you know, the only time it really gets to be that I gotta laugh is when somebody's like, if somebody gets a guitar from me and there's like a a speck of dust in the binding or something, and they're like, oh. oh wow. Oh, I can't believe I paid eleven ninety nine for this guy's speculus in the binding. Meanwhile, there's guys paying four thousand dollars for guitars that are beat to shit. But yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say because a couple of the models that you make that I haven't played them all yet because I've only played about two or three models that you guys have. But well, when you know, are you the, gonna come over here? But yeah, that's my next question: is when are you gonna invite me to Detroit so I can come yeah. and play them all? <laughs> yeah, you're invited, but you got to nice. come to Toledo though. Oh yeah, that's right. You can go to Detroit and visit one of our dealers and yeah. play them all. But uh, you want to come yeah. here? We're sunny, beautiful Toledo, Ohio. Nice. Yeah. Well, I live in Las Vegas, so maybe I'll join you next summer <laughs> when it's actually warm. <laughs> nice. You're looking forward to the uh, F1 race next year. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan, but it's going to be an interesting. Uh, like I, I've watched F Formula One for a while here and there, but it's going to be interesting to see how because they're already starting to lay out the track, which it's yeah, weird. Cool. Yeah. Yo, yeah. I bet. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll be there. I'm. We're planning. Penny and I are planning on attending. Very cool. Uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't been to Vegas. I, I, the last time I was in Vegas, I think I did an in-store at the Sam Ash there. On, okay. Uh, like Eastern or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, nice store. The manager, the manager of that store is a really cool dude. Really cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say some of these, uh, the models that I like to look like, look at wise, you know, the Roundhouse RA, that looks absolutely incredible. I was like, damn, that's a mm -hmm. huge, like, what the first one that popped off, I was like, that's that guitar is nice. gorgeous. And then as a Telecaster fan, I like the Charger 290. And then, like you were mentioning, the East Siders, the, the Pete Anderson models, um, they look pretty cool. And I think even two of the three models have a tremolo bar, which fenders, unless you specifically get a, a signature model or something, do not usually come with tremolo bars. So that was pretty cool because I had a Dean for years and I'm like, I like playing the tremolo bar. I don't know why I would use it every once in a while, but with a tel Telecaster, I don't have that option. So I'm like, I guess I'll just abandon that now. <laughs> it's it's fun on that platform. And yeah. then mounting mounting that T-style pickup directly into the body does a thing there too. Yeah. Um, it, that's just, it makes it, you know, unique, a, a yeah. unique array of tones. Um, it's like having a Strat with a really usable bridge pickup, you know? Yeah. Um, and not to say that strats don't have a usable bridge pickup, but it's an acquired taste for that, for their sort of stock single coil thing, which is why you see so many people putting, you know, hot rails or whatever the, the yeah. pickup of the, of the week is, you know, in yeah. the bridge position of their strat. Whereas that our, our East Sider S really gives it, it's really got some punch, um, and, and sustain while still having that sort of glassy shimmer thing, which sure. is which i think is very cool yes yeah. yes yeah well i probably have like 10 more questions for you but in 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 you know to try to keep this a little bit shorter and and not not ramble on all day long i do want to just ask you what do you guys have yeah. in store where do you see reverend going from here because you know you have fenders and gibsons who have you know historically dominated the guitar market as far as like name recognition do you guys you know, I, I know you've mentioned before, you know, you still have people saying, like, I've never heard of you guys before. Do you see yeah. a wide open ocean out there? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I still do. Hey, Penny and I like to go to a lot of, we don't go to a lot, but we go to a few public guitar events um, outside of just going to the NAMM shows. Um, the two that we hit every year are um, are the Fall Philly Guitar Festival, which is coming up here in about six weeks uh, in Oaks, Pennsylvania. 
which is about 45 minutes north and west of Philadelphia proper. And um, it's it's a really cool guitar show. They do one in the summer and the fall. We only go to the fall one. And then in May, we go to the Dallas International Guitar Festival, um, which I often recommend to people um, who are, if you're just into guitars, you got to go to the Dallas show. Uh, nice. The guy who runs that show, he has live music on two or three different stages all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And he always... I bring in artists. I have brought Pete Anderson, Reeves Cabrels, Rick Vito, uh, Greg Koch. Uh, I bring in artists every year. Um, he, Jimmy, you know, you can, Andy Timmons, Johnny Highland. I saw Paul Gilbert there this year. He destroyed. It was absolutely awesome. Nice. I've seen Neil Sean, Nugent, big names. Uh, uh, Frank Hanna from Tesla was there this year doing a oh. clinic. I, I <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, like, it's a really interesting, and then you can just pay admission and see all these people and then walk around on the floor with them, you know? Um, and then it, there's booths there, there's manufacturers there, uh, like, we're, a, we're, we've been there every year for 25 years. Um, but also, uh, I mean, bigger manufacturers, smaller manufacturers, pickup guys, pedal guys, uh, accessories people, and then mixed in with all of that is a bunch of vintage stuff. And so it's it's really fun it's a really fun event and so I'll go to an event like that and you know a few times a day people who are really into guitars will come in and say to Penny and I Reverend what's that I never heard of that tell me about it yeah. and I part you know and of course like human nature part of me is like god damn how long do we have to do this yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> but then but but the thing is is that's great like, yeah. because it just means that we haven't, we're not like saturated in some marketplace. You know what I mean? Like we're yeah. still, there, there's still something that's, that's exciting about what we're doing. And we're still reaching new eyes and new people every time we do something new and go into someplace new. Um, so it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Um, I, as, as I would just like to see that vibe continue. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I was going to say the reason that, I actually found that's out. That's where we're going. <laughs> yeah. The reason why I found out by, about Reverend was because about two years ago, uh, one of my longtime friends was like, I'm looking at this guitar. Uh, it's actually my fiance's uncle that invented the guitar. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's Reverend. Her uncle is Joe Naylor. And that's how I found out about it because my friend is getting married to his niece. And I was oh, like, that's cool. That's crazy. Like, <laughs> what a small world. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I got to play his Billy Corgan signature model. I was like, that's a pretty cool guitar, man. I'm, I, I still, I still have to play more to see like, cause like you said, every guitar has got a different feel than, than other guitars. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, by design, you know, it's yeah. cool. And we have a lot of models too, dude. It's yeah. insanity, but <laughs> I, you know, that's the thing. Like, like Joe keeps coming up with stuff and then it's hard for us to leave stuff behind because everything sells right yeah yeah <laughs> so you're like you know even though like we maybe we've been looking at something for a long time here that doesn't mean that the rest of the world is is you know done with it or yeah or whatever you know or, or, or even knowledgeable of it yet or yeah. whatever so we have a tendency to sort of keep things going maybe uh you know uh which has led to us having a lot of different a lot of different models and and uh it's a lot of fun for sure it's yeah. a lot of fun yeah 
Well, I was going to say, do you have anything else before we go today that uh, you want to mention that you guys have coming up in the, the near future for Reverend that, you know, maybe a little sneak peek of a new model or, you know, just in general, people want to check out from Reverend? Oh, just you wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just piles of guitars have, sitting next to him. <laughs> we, we, have, we have a couple of really cool things coming out before the end of the year. Nice. And and uh, and we have some uh, new signature models coming out before the end of the year too, or or right after the first of the year. Um, so we we've got a lot of fun. There's always something in store, man. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. It's it's very very exciting. So That's awesome. I don't have any I don't have anything that I can really give you a sneak peek of off the top of my head. Not in here with me right now. Yeah. But, um, but yes, the answer to your question though. <laughs> oh yeah, there's stuff coming. <laughs> Um, in the immediate future, though, we are, uh, that's not entirely true. Actually, if you grab this, the, um, the Billy Corgan Z1 pickups. So okay. his new, his new pickup design with the, uh, with the, um, the, the moon and the stars. Yeah. Uh, the, these are going to be made available, uh, to all Railhammer dealers within the next probably four to six weeks. Okay. And we are offering them not just in Chrome, but also, uh, with that etch work done in black and gold. Nice. So I'm really, really excited to have those hit the market. Is it like a matte black or is it all glossy ones? Gloss. Nice. Gloss, yes. Very yeah, cool. Just, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, and then, yeah. And then uh, we can talk about my bands in your speed round if you want to. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say one You're last You're going to talk about rock. Yeah. Fire away. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say one last question before we sign off of this yeah. uh, portion. What new music from you know this year maybe the last year or so would you recommend people go check oh, out man that's rude <laughs> that's just rude i listen to so much stuff that it's it's difficult for me to narrow down any one thing um so I don't know where to go with that. Um, I pay a lot of attention to what reverend artists are up to, of course. Sure. Uh, and that's where I get a lot of the music that I listen to lately. Um, as, as it should be. Uh, if you haven't checked out Y Oak, you should definitely check out Jen Wasner and Y Oak. They're a fantastic band. Um, any, the, the, the new thing that's coming from Fu Manchu, uh, they just dropped a bunch of, of like singles that were just fantastic. Their last couple albums have been amazing. And I think their last one flew a little bit under the radar, uh, Clone of the Universe, which if you're a guitar person, it's worth checking out because Side 2 is this giant epic song that features not only, you know, Scott and Bob playing guitar, but Alex Lifeson also plays lead. Oh, wow. And um, and then Bob does a bunch of interesting things, too. So he also has Sun and Sail Club, which are wicked awesome. And then he and Reeves Gabrels have collaborated on stuff as well, uh, which is which is amazing. So if, if you ju just follow Bob Balch, just about anything he does is ridiculous if you're a guitar guy. Um, and what else? My son... Uh, took me to see Covet a couple of months ago. And that was, I, I've obviously heard 
heard him playing it for years and listened to it in the car with him and all that stuff, but to, to see them perform live, um, Yvette's special for sure. And that, that's a non-reverend thing. You know what I mean? That's just fabulous. Um, so yeah, there you go. There okay. you go. There, there's a few things anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely want to thank you, Ken, for, for taking the time to talk with us today and being on the show. Guys, make sure to go to the show notes below this episode to check out all the guitars, check out Ken's music, uh, you know, all the bands that he's in. I, I really like the Polka Floyd um, idea because I was like, love Pink Floyd. It's my favorite band, but making it Polka, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and then Jay Navarro and the Traders, obviously. Jay Navarro, known for being the, the Suicide Machines lead singer as well, if I'm not mistaken. That's um, correct. So, yeah, um, very cool. Uh, remember, guys, go check out those show notes and get those links and go over, check out the guitars. If you've never heard of Reverend Guitars, go to your nearest like local dealer and just pick up one and see if you like it because they're, they're pretty rad guitars. And also remember that the Powered by Rock podcast is powered by our listeners. If you want to show us some support, please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast on social media as well. You can also make a donation to the podcast to help us keep making some awesome episodes with some awesome guests like Ken here. You can find that link in the notes as well. You can see the full video interview on our YouTube channel and Spotify now as well. If you want to check out some articles, album reviews, listen interviews, go to PoweredByRock.com to read our absolutely free rocking blog. Also, you can check out that check out that site to find merch and gear as well, so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Rock on. Supposed to be